get saved, uh, we are to build on the foundation that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything that we build is dependent upon Him being the very center of all of it. If we take Him out of the mix of our life in every area of our life, then our life will crumble like a house with a, with a, a foundation that uh, is faulty. Uh, it will crumble down. It won't have some stability. Let's look in verse number 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9. But ye, he's saying this in contrast to those that are disobeying in the fact that they have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And he contrasts that by saying, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation." Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king." Father, we pray that you'll bless the message and speak to our hearts. And, Lord, help us to learn from this passage today what you would have for us. That as we build this house that you've given us to build upon, the foundation that's already been laid, the fact that we've made you the center, the preeminent one in our lives in every area, then, Father, may we diligently build upon that foundation a spiritual house, a house that is well-pleasing to you, and so may you guide and direct us through your word. May your Holy Spirit uh, instruct and teach us. May he open our eyes and help us to understand and to uh, be willing to apply and to obey the truth that we find in these scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's interesting today that we live how many times as Christians we pick and choose portions of the Bible that we long to uh, obey and the ones that we don't like to talk about too much because we realize we don't obey in those areas. And isn't it amazing that the ones we want to obey are the ones we don't usually have problems with in our flesh. And it's the ones that we tend to have the problems in the flesh with that we don't like to talk about, the ones that we don't like to hold to in Scripture. And yet the Bible teaches us that if this foundation is going to be a sure foundation for us, if we're going to make Christ the very center of our life, he speaks of the fact that there is a difference between those that are disobedient and rejecting this foundation and those that have uh, accepted and believe in the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ and are applying it to their lives. And he, he makes the statement here uh, in verse number 9 that those that have trusted Him as their Savior, those that have made the, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, the foundation, the preeminent one of their life, if you will, uh, that we are a chosen generation. And uh, aren't you glad that uh, God chose us? 
And uh, I'm thankful that uh, the Bible teaches us that whosoever uh, will come to Him and call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, shall be saved. And uh, I am not a Calvinist. I don't believe that God predetermines some to be saved and some not to be saved. And I, but I don't have a problem with this word chosen either in Scripture. Because I believe that when Christ died on the cross, He chose for everyone to be saved. That was His desire. He still gives man a free will. And uh, the Bible tells us very clearly that He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And His desire is for every man to come to Him. But He gives man a free will. And for those of us who have trusted in, in Him, the Bible says we're a chosen generation. We, we've been set apart for a special reason here. Because he says we've been made, uh, uh, he says you're a cho- chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Uh, we get the opportunity to come into the very throne room of God. The Bible teaches the fact that we are an heir and a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the idea that we have become part of the, uh, the, the family of the King of Kings. And uh, the, the songwriter wrote years ago, I'm a child of the King. A child of the king. And by the way, I've heard some people say it this way. If you're a child of the king, you need to act like one. Uh, amen? I think there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, you don't act like a child of the devil and be a child of the king. Uh, and so uh, the, the Bible teaches we're a holy, holy, uh, royal priesthood. Then he says a holy nation. And then he says a peculiar people. And the way we use that word peculiar anymore, uh, I'd look around the room and I see a few peculiar people in here. Uh, I looked in the mirror this morning saw a very peculiar person. But uh, the peculiar just means something as far as that they are different than, than the rest of the world. They're different. They're set apart. There's something unique about them. They're peculiar people. Titus chapter 2 speaks of that. That he redeemed unto himself a peculiar people. And what made them peculiar was the fact that they were redeemed and that they were zealous of good works. And by the way, you become zealous of good works because you're saved, not to get saved. Amen? And so we find that uh, this group of folks who have a foundation, a sure foundation, the, the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone of the Lord Jesus Christ in their life, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, peculiar people, and this is why He has set us apart in these areas. Look what the Bible says in verse number 9. That ye should show forth. Now, we're going to look at some things that He tells us that we're supposed to be showing forth. This is to be characterized of us. This is to be part of our testimony. It begins by saying that we should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. One of the things I think that we as God's people fail in far too often is this idea of praise. Uh, we've allowed the liberal crowd and the, the, the word of faith churches and the, the uh, come as you are, leave as you were kind of churches to rob us of this word praise. There's, I have no problem with the word praise. I have no problem with the word worship. I don't even mind using them in the same sentence and saying praise and worship. But I mean something a lot different than what most people do when they say praise and worship. There's something about this word praise that is spoken of here in verse number 9, and it is a recognition and a verbalization to others at what God has done for us. And look what it says here in verse number uh, 9. He says that you should show forth the praises of Him. Now, here's, here's what the praises are about. Who hath called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. 
When we speak of praising God, first and foremost, the thing that we need to praise Him for is the fact that He has brought us out of darkness into His marvelous light. The fact that He has saved our soul from sin. I'm going to tell you what, there's nothing in this world that we have to thank God more for than our salvation. There's no greater thing that God could have ever done for us. No matter what the blessings we find in our life from God to be, there is nothing that is ever done for us any greater than the miracle of salvation. And so when we come to praising God, can I tell you this? The first thing on our lips, the foremost thing on our lips, ought to be talking about how God forgave me of my sin. He brought me out of darkness and into His marvelous light. In other places of Scripture, it says that He lifted me out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock. And over and over in Scripture, we find uh, word pictures and, and illustrations of what Christ has done for us through salvation, which is through the Lord Jesus Christ. We knew and understood from last hour that the, the cornerstone of the foundation, the chief cornerstone, the, the one that sets the direction, the one that sets the stability, the one that's firm and the one that's the dictator of all truth, is the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ came to redeem man by dying on the cross, being buried, and being raised again the third day. And that is the foundation of the gospel. If we take that out, the Bible crumbles. If we take Christ out of the picture, this book is no, no better for us than any fictional work that's out there. Christ must be the foundation. And, and I want to say this, that I believe one of the biggest problems with uh, preaching the gospel to every creature that we've been commissioned to do is that we are not willing to praise God for what He's done for us. There are people that I think would long for the salvation that Christ has to offer if he could see it in the lives of, if they could see it in the lives of Christians. If they could hear it being verbalized by Christians that I was lost and I was undone and I, I could not save myself. I was headed toward a devil's hell one day and there was nothing I could do. I had no hope. And Christ reached down in love and showed me that he could save me from my sin and if I would put my faith and my trust in Him, that He would forgive me of my sin and give me a home in heaven for all of eternity, that He had already paid the price for me. And I'll tell you, we ought to get excited about that. We start talking, even if it's to another brother or sister in Christ, you get talking about the things of the Bible, you ever get excited? You ever get a little animated about talking about things like that? People need to see that in this world. There needs to be praise given that flows out of a heart of gratitude. I think so often we take our salvation for granted. We got it taken care of years ago. Now we have to go through the obligations of our Christian life. And it almost becomes a drudgery to some Christians. And I tell you, there is no more greater joy in life than to reflect on what Christ has done for us through saving us of our sins. He talks about this idea that we are to show forth the praises. We've been set apart. We're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people for the purpose of. These are the reasons He has set us apart. So that we can show forth the praises of Him who had called us out of darkness in His marvelous sight. If somebody ever says, uh, you got anything to thank the Lord for, there, there ought not to be a, a waiting around and saying, uh, nobody's got anything to thank God for. I, I mean, there ought to be, I ought to be saying, folks, you're going to have to quit praising the Lord so we can get to the preaching. There's so many things that we have to thank God for, and there's none greater than our salvation. 
There ought to be joy. There ought to be excitement in the fact that we're saved. I get tired of watching Christians when they talk to those that are lost about salvation and about the gospel message. And it almost sounds like they're talking about somebody who died. Somebody who's, who's, who's going to a funeral. Can I tell you this? The gospel is good news. It's the greatest news that person's ever heard. And it's something that we ought to get excited about. It's something that ought to be natural for us to tell others about. I found out the other day, my, my sister, who's going to be, uh, I think, 40 years old this year, just found out she's pregnant again. She's going to be 92 years old, still have a toddler going around the house. And, and, but I'm excited about that. And I couldn't wait to tell people about that. Now, she's not all that excited yet. She's getting there. But, uh, but I'm going to tell you what, I'm pretty excited because i got another little nephew or niece that I get to spoil. Or maybe, we're hoping, maybe one of each. She's not, but I am. And I'm, I'm excited about that because that's good news. Can I tell you, I ought not to be any more excited about that than I am about the fact that God saved me. I mean, this is something that is exciting news. I, I have a foundation that is steadfast and sure. It's not going to move. I, I'm eternally secure. I don't have to wonder at night when I lay my head down, where am I going to go if I don't wake up? I know that I am safe in the arms of Jesus. I know that I have put my faith in Him. I know that He has, for whatever reason, loved me so much that He was willing to do this for me. And of all people, we ought to be the most animated people there are out there. People ought to be trying to calm us down about how excited we are about salvation. Instead, we get into church and we open up our hymnal and we sing, Love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help. Love lifted me. Where, where is the Christian joy? Think about what we're singing. Love lifted me. Where did He lift us from? He lifted us from the darkness. And He set us in His marvelous light. We get to go to heaven. We get to spend eternity with Him. And I don't have to go to my just reward. I don't have to go to hell and pay for my sin. If that doesn't make somebody happy, I don't know what will. These are the things we have been set apart to do. We're to go into a lost and a dying world, and we are to teach and to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection. We're to disciple men in all things that God had taught His disciples and us through His Word, and we're to take great joy in that. This is to be the thing that we long for in our lives, the thing that we love more than life itself. There ought to be a joy in serving Jesus. There ought to be a a thrill to our hearts every time that the door opens itself and we get an opportunity to talk to somebody. I I get sometimes I get so excited about the things of the Lord when I talk to people and and I just get to where I can't hardly contain it sometimes. And they'll start laughing at me sometimes every once in a while at how I get excited about these things. The more I talk about them, the more excited I seem to get about it. There was a time in my life where that wasn't true. There are still times in my life, if I'm not careful, where that isn't true. But this is what I've been set apart for. This is what you've been set apart for. This is what God has given us the privilege to be a part of. I'm not talking about faking something or coming up with some kind of excited facade. I'm talking about the joy springing up in our hearts so much that it bubbles over 
When I was a kid, we sang a little song in Sunday school, running over, running over. My cup is full and running over. Since the Lord saved me, I'm as happy as can be. My cup is full and running over. It, it ought to be so full that all it takes is a jostle of my, uh, my arm to spill out the joy everywhere. I'll tell you, it, it, if somebody bumps me the wrong way, it ought to just exude joy everywhere it goes. Uh, there ought to be something about it that, that, that's exciting about the Christian life. We sing songs like, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. We sing it with a frown on our face. Where is the joy? Where is the zeal? Where is the excitement of the Christian life? Where is the praise and the gratitude and the thanksgiving? Oh, don't get me wrong. There are times that I bow in recognition of the fact that I do not deserve this. There are times that the tears flow. But boy, when I begin to talk about it, it just can't hardly contain. Jeremiah got to that point. He got so frustrated with people not listening. He said, Lord, I'm done. I'm not even going to talk anymore. I'm, not, I, I'm through. People aren't listening. They're not paying attention. I'm done. He said, but it was shut up in my bones like a fire. He said, I couldn't contain it anymore. I had to, just, I had to do it. I had to tell others. That's the way it ought to be in the Christian life. We're set apart for these things. Notice what else it says here in verse 10. Which in times past were not a people. <laughs> we weren't part of it. I'm thankful that God allowed the Gentiles to be a part of it, aren't you? He came first to the children of Israel. That was where He first came. But I'm thankful He let the Gentiles in too. We didn't used to be a people, but notice it says this, but now are the people of God. He's not speaking here of the nation of Israel, because we know that from the next phrase, which is, which had not obtained mercy, but now have we obtained mercy. Those that are His people are those that have obtained His mercy. You and I get an opportunity to be a child of God, to be a child of the King. What a joy! We sing songs like, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. And we sing songs like, I'm a child of the King, a child of the King. With Jesus my Savior, I'm a child of the King. And there's no joy in that. We weren't a people, but now we are. We weren't part of His, His ones that belong to Him, but now we are. We sing the song, now I belong to Jesus, Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. Oh, that ought to thrill our hearts. Then he goes on to tell us in verse number 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. We've got all these things that God has done for us. He saved us. He's taken us out of His darkness into His marvelous light. He, he caused us to be a people which used to not be a people. He's caused us to be saved and to, be, to, uh, to obtain His mercy who didn't used to have His mercy. And so Peter goes on to say this, I beseech you. In light of these things, I beseech you, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, these are the way we ought to act in, the, in this life. If we have the right uh, foundation, if we have this cornerstone as the, as the foundation for not just our salvation, but all, uh, every aspect of our life. Let's see what he says here. I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts. He starts dealing now with our lives. After we see what God has done for us, then we see what we're supposed to be doing for Him. In light of what He has done for us, we find what we're supposed to be doing for Him. 
were to abstain from flesh and lust, which he says, by the way, uh, they war, this, he says these lusts, which war against the soul. These fleshly lusts are not something to be toyed with. These are not things that we can handle. These are things that war against our, our spirit. These are things that war against our life that needs to be pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, there needs to be an abstaining from this. There needs to be a hatred for the things of the, of the lust of the flesh or the things of this world. There needs, to, there needs to be a disdain for it. There needs to be an awfulness to sin that we look at and say, I don't even want to be close to it. I don't even want to have an appearance of it. I, uh, there are precautions that different folks put in their lives. There are precautions that if we, if we go through that, the, 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 the rule that we put, we're still okay. We haven't sinned. But we put the rule in such a place that we have room. We don't get as close to sin as we can. Because my flesh nature, I don't know about yours, it doesn't like rules as much as, as my spirit does. And it's going to find every opportunity it can to break one. And it's going to push the envelope. And it's going to try to push the edge. And if I put that, that standard, if I put that boundary right at the point of what is right and what is wrong, then the moment my flesh gives in, then I have sinned. Can I tell you this? We as God's people ought to abstain from fleshly lust. That means we ought to put a standard in place that keeps us and protects us from these things. Something that even if we were to cross that fence or that line in a moment of weakness, we still have not sinned. And you can make your own decisions on where those ought to be. But can I tell you this? Don't get as close to sin as you possibly can. The attitude that is spoken of here is that we're to abstain from these fleshly lusts. We're not to flirt with them. We're not to toy with them. We're not to fritter around with them. We're to abstain from them. We're to get as far away from them as we possibly can. This is something I ought to be doing. Because they war against my soul. They're going to do everything they can. Satan would love nothing more than to destroy the life of a Christian. To destroy the testimony of a Christian. To take the joy. To take the influence they can have on sharing the gospel with others completely away from them. Notice what else he says we should be doing. Verse number 12. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Well, we could use a revival of that, could we not? Christians that will be honest in the society, in the world that we live in, even to the Gentiles, those that are lost, whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Sounds kind of like the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't it? When Jesus said that, that men may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven, doesn't that sound very similar to that? It's almost like Christ Himself taught Peter these things. You think He did? Oh, Peter was there, wasn't He? He heard those words from the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, we say, boy, wasn't Peter fortunate to hear those words from the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, I think he was. I could only imagine traveling with Jesus for three years and listening to Him and being around Him. But you know, we hold in our hands something just as precious. Because the Lord Jesus Christ speaks to me too. And by the way, He speaks to you. And these are things that we ought to hold precious and dear to us. We know what the words of Christ are. We've seen them. We know what His heart is on these matters. 
having your conversation honest among the Gentiles is what God desires for us. That they can see us. They can see our testimony. They can see that we live above reproach. We're not pushing the line. We're not trying to get as close to the world as we can. We are living in a way that there is a distinct difference. There is something that is pointing men to the work that God has done in our hearts. And when they see what we're doing, they look at the work that Christ did and they say, boy, what an amazing Savior they have. There needs to be that difference in us. Notice what it says here in verse number 13. He says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. I will say this, and I want to make sure that we're very clear on this, that when the United States of America was formed, one of the big reasons that people came here and fought for the liberty that they fought for, one of the large reasons, was the fact that they longed for freedom and liberty. Taxation without representation was no longer going to be a, a, something that they were going to tolerate. And they wanted liberty from, from taxation without their representation. And as they were getting ready to write the Constitution of the United States, they had written all of the, the, the major parts of it. And, and uh, 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 John, uh, um, I'm sorry, my brain, James Madison went home for a few moments. He was known as the, uh, for a few weeks, he was known as the father of the Constitution. And without James Madison, our Constitution would have never passed. He went home for a little while and they were electing representatives to go to the Constitutional Convention where they were going to ratify the Constitution. And the favor was leaning towards a Baptist preacher by the name of John Leland. They decided that John Leland was going to be a better choice than James Madison. James Madison hadn't been around. He was busy working off the Constitution. He hadn't been around his local area. He went and met with John Leland one night, and he said, uh, Brother, he said, I, I, I'm not, our, our Constitution is not going to pass. If I'm not there, he said, there's a good chance this thing won't pass. He said, what would it take for you to, to withdraw your consideration and you to support me to be the, uh, sent to the Constitutional Convention? John Leland looked at him. He said, Mr. Madison, he said, there's one problem with our Constitution. He said, there is no guarantee of religious liberty. He said, if you can assure me that you will make amends and rights to that Constitution for a religious liberty, he said, then I'll throw my support behind you. James Madison made the commitment to John Leland. John Leland, of course, threw his support behind James Madison. He went to the Constitutional Convention, the very first amendment they made was that Congress shall make no law prohibiting the exercise of religion or the religion or the exercise thereof. Giving man for the first time in history a written document guaranteeing religious liberty. We've been very fortunate here in the United States to be able to have wonderful religious liberty. Our government was established by men who knew that the liberty to practice this book and the truths of this book were going to be necessary for the type of uh, uh, government that our country has. He understood that there was going to need to be a, 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 a desire to follow the things of God's Word as our, our, our direction for morals in life. 
Our country understood that years ago. We now have a misunderstanding of what was written in that First Amendment, where people are saying that church has no part nor influence on government. And that was never to be the case. Our forefathers, those that wrote our Constitution, were to make sure that the government did not interfere with the influence that the church had so that the church could have influence on society, so that the church could have influence on the laws of the land, so that the Bible and the things of God would have precedence in considering the moral laws of a civil society. This is what was intended by our forefathers. And you wonder where they got that from? Perhaps verses like this. Look with me. It says in verse 13, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him, for the punishment of what? This is what these governments are supposed to be doing. Punishment of evildoers. And for the praise of them that what? Do well. Governments are to praise those that do well. They're to punish the evildoers. Where do they get their standard of right and wrong? From God's Word. Separation of church and state is found nowhere in our Constitution. We've developed that statement. Initially, it meant that the government was not to have any part of making a law that would prohibit religion or the free exercise thereof. But it has come to mean in recent days that religion has no part in government. Can I encourage us in this? We as God's people must stand and be salt and light in this, in this country. We need to make a difference in our government. We need to make a difference in our people, in our societies, in our cities, in our states. And it must begin in our churches and in our homes. God's people need to become salt and light again to a society. We need to uplift the things that are right in Scriptures and show the things that are wrong according to Scriptures so that our society will have a standard that can be an absolute standard once again. All that we would rise to this occasion, that with the idea of us being a chosen generation and a royal priesthood and a peculiar people and a holy nation, that we would rise up and there would be something different about us to the place where people would look, even unsaved people would look at us. And they may not fully agree, and they may not fully embrace who God is, but they will glorify Him as God because they see a difference in how we live our lives. We have so succumbed to the lust of this world and to the lust of our flesh, even in our Christian lives, that we are no longer the salt and we are no longer the light. Peter challenges, and he says this, he says, Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the King of Supreme. The early mindset of our forefathers was this, that we would be obedient to the government in civil matters only. But when it came to religious matters, we were to be obedient to God. As much as within us is, we need to live peaceably with all men. We need to follow the rules of the government. I may not like a 35 mile an hour speed limit on I-70, but if that's what they tell me it's going to be, then I better do it. It's not against Scripture. But if they tell me that I've got to legitimize the killing of innocent babies, I have to obey God rather than men. 
If they tell me that I have to say it is okay and it is right and it is not sinful for there to be a homosexuality and immorality going rampant in our country, then I have to obey God rather than man. If I have to follow this idea that, that, that the public schools are indoctrinating our kids with the idea that they do not have to submit to authority of their parents and to those that are in authority over them, then I'm going to tell you right now, I have to follow God rather than man on that issue. But as much as within us is, as much as it does not go contrary to God's Word, we are chosen as God's people to be obedient to the government that He has placed over us. Well, I don't like it, Pastor. We need to do it, provided it is not contrary to Scripture. When it begins to go contrary to Scripture, when it begins to tell me I have to go against what God says, then and only then am I at a responsibility to obey God first, rather than the government. But God has told us here in this passage that as we can, as they follow the role of government in punishing the wicked and rewarding the good, we are to submit ourselves to them. He says in verse number 15, For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. And then lastly, he says this, verse 17, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the King. We're to honor all men. I do not like what the homosexual movement does. I don't. I can't stand their sin. I cannot stand what they do. I think that their actions are an abomination. But I care for their soul. I've not lost that. I cannot stand the concept, and I think it's one of the most hideous things in the world for somebody to commit an abortion. But I love the person and the soul of that person that needs to be saved. And I will not condone their sin, and I will speak boldly against it, and I'll throw every ounce of strength I have to try to get people to understand the sinfulness and the wrongness of these things. But at the same time, I must have a compassion for the soul of those people. The answer to the homosexual movement is for men to get saved. For women to get saved. The answer for the transgender problem in America is for them to get saved. To trust Christ as their Savior. The answer for the abortion problem in America is for them to get saved and to trust Christ as their Savior. We can never legislate morality. It must stem from the heart of men that have been changed and transformed by a holy God. We must have a right foundation in every aspect of our life. We must settle these things. God has done some things for us. He's brought us out of darkness and helped us to enter into His marvelous light. He's made us a people that have obtained mercy. And Peter says, because of these things I'm going to beseech you. Abstain from fleshly lusts. Let's have a disdain for it. Let's have a hatred for it. Let's stay so far away from them. Let's obey our government as often as we can and as long as it does not go contrary to God's Word. And when it does go contrary to God's Word, then let's stand up and make an influence on our government. Let us honor all men. 
Let us love the brotherhood. Let us fear God. And let us honor the King. We've got an awful lot to live up to as Christians. There are a lot of things that we find in Scripture that we are not to do. And if we're not careful, we will focus on all that we are not to do and spend very little time on what we're supposed to do. I want us to look at this passage today, think about it and dwell on it, and as we leave here today, meditate upon it. There are as many things that God tells us to do as there are that He tells us not to do. We must not become identified by what we are not. We need to be identified by being what we should be. I want to encourage us in this day that we live, folks, we are living in, I think, very short times. Whether Christ comes by way of rapture or we go by way of death, the truth is it's still a short time, isn't it? Life is a vapor. We're going to make a difference in this world, and we need to make a difference in this world. If we're going to, if we're going to help to bring America, and we're going to be uh, uh, contributing to bringing America back to God, rather than contributing to pushing America further away from God, then we need to stand up and do it now. We need to begin to do the things that the Bible says to do. I was talking to a family just last week and counseling with them and dealing with some issues and problems in the home. And I, I, I took them to Scripture and we looked at some things in Scripture. I said, guys, there's no, there's no improving on doing things God's way. We think of that in so many areas of our life, but so many times we are negligent in our lives to live the way God wants us to live. Do we abstain from fleshly lusts or do we, do we kind of coddle them a little bit? That, that's our little pet, pet thing we like over here. We're going to keep that one. I, I'm not going to give that one up. Do, do we abstain from that? Well, Pastor, somebody might call me a goody two-shoes. I hope so. I hope so. I hope people will look and say there's something peculiar about that person. They're not like the world. They're not like everybody else we meet. There's something different about them. I hope that's the case. Are we living the way we ought to? I know we teach a lot on things we ought not to do to abstain from different things, and we certainly need to be careful that we don't sin and that we live a life as far away from the things of sin as we possibly can get. But what about the things we're supposed to be doing? When men see how we respond to our government in matters of civil things, do they honor God because of it? Or are they disappointed in us? Do they see an honoring of God in that aspect or that attitude? What about honoring all men? I want to encourage us to not only do the, or not do the things we're not supposed to from Scripture, but that we spend some time in it finding out, Lord, what do you want me to do? What should characterize my life? What should be a part of it? Because, folks, our world needs it. They are desperate for it. They need to see a life that has been changed and transformed.
by God's Word. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, we're thankful that You've given us the privilege to be here today to gather around Your Word and around Your people. I pray that You'll guide and direct our steps. Lord, so much more in these days. Uh, Recently, just so much of a burden has been on my heart that we live in such a way that this world sits up and takes notice. 